0: Well, good morning, church. We will be in Luke chapter 14 again this morning. Luke chapter 14, we're going to continue our study through the harmony of the Gospels. And if we can zoom in a little bit closer, this is part two of a series that we looked at last week called Four Lessons from a Feast. And as we've been singing about this morning, that is the great feast, the great... Uh, representation of uh, an eternity spent with God, enjoying Him, being satisfied in Him. Uh, I think they will be eating in heaven as well, but our satisfaction is, is not found in eating in eternity. Our satisfaction is found in the bread of life, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will find a great satisfaction in Him. And uh, this is kind of the theme of of... Uh, these, sermon, these lessons that we learn, they're centered around a feast in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus is there at the ruler of the house of the Pharisees and he is teaching uh, those guests there. Uh, and from, those, uh, from that feast, he is teaching four lessons for the Pharisees that are these arrogant, self-righteous leaders, but he's also teaching lessons for us as people who uh, belong to the kingdom of God. Uh, obviously, there there was uh, more than likely some followers there of Jesus, and so there is a t- kind of a a, a, a twofold uh, teaching and and <clears throat> instruction there by the Lord Jesus for those uh, a rebuke towards his enemies and a um, an instruction for his followers. And so, last week we looked at two of those lessons. We looked at kingdom humility, Jesus teaching on kingdom humility or meekness, and we looked at kingdom triumph, where Jesus silences his uh, opponents and demonstrating his power and his authority, um, pointing forward to an uh, authority that we he will... And, have over his enemies in finality when Jesus returns, but even he was looking forward immediately to the triumph that he would have over sin and death and Satan on the cross. And so we looked at how Jesus silenced these men. They had no argument. Their arguments could not stand. And how in his uh, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus silences uh, the power of sin and, and death and Satan um, over all those who believe in him. And then that kingdom meekness centered around those who were uh, jockeying or striving for position at the feast where they would, um, you know, as, as you can imagine, like the, the doors opening to to the the Thanksgiving Black Friday sales and people rushing in to get the best deals where these uh, invitees to this feast, these guests of the feast, they were rushing in to get the places of honor. And Jesus was teaching them about what it means to have humility and, and taking the lowest place because it's those that are, live in humility and operate in humility that Christ will exalt. And those that are trying to exalt themselves, Christ will humble. We call that the great reversal. And he continues, still at this feast, the context of our passage this morning, he's still sitting around, he's still instructing and guiding, and today he's going to focus on the last two uh, lessons from this feast, that is kingdom grace and kingdom belonging. Kingdom grace and kingdom belonging. So if you missed last week, the four lessons of the feast, kingdom triumph, kingdom meekness, kingdom grace, and kingdom belonging. So if you would look with me in Luke chapter 14, let's kind of get our grasp on this passage. I'm going to start in verse 1 so we can have the full context, and I'll go down to verse 24. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you uh, be invited by him, and he who invited you, both will come and say to you, "Give your place to this person." And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, "Friend, move up higher." Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at uh, who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them, please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir... What you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. It is undeniable that Jesus is looking forward to this great time of eternity where he will uh, rule and reign Uh, with superior power and majesty and glory, and there among him will be his people. And those that are not invited uh, to this feast, those that, uh, that will suffer eternity in hell, are those that have rejected the Lord Jesus. Those are the ones who have turned away from him. And so if you can imagine this, this feast, Jesus is sitting around and a large majority of these people, a large chunk of, of these guests are Pharisees. And they have um, incited Jesus, they have... Uh, continually tried to trap Jesus and war against Jesus in his uh, mission and purpose as the Messiah. And so a lot of this feast is bound up in a rebuke against these enemies of of Jesus. He is rebuking them. As he is instructing, he is rebuking them and telling them on numerous and multiple occasions those, who, those men who were invited shall not taste my banquet. Those are the Jews. Those are the ones that Jesus is condemning. If they didn't get the message then, then they got it earlier in Luke chapter 13 when Jesus told them that they will be banging on the door, knocking on the door after the master has shut the door, and he will look to them and say, Lord, Lord, uh, let us in. And he say, I don't know you. Be gone from me, you workers of iniquity. Or the ones, or the time that he told them that your house is forsaken. And who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the nation of Israel who had their opportunity, who had been given the revelation of God, and yet they had rejected Jesus. And yet there will be those surrounding Jesus in eternity who understood kingdom humility who understood kingdom triumph, who understood kingdom grace. Now, we know that Scripture teaches that they understood that kingdom grace because God had first lavished the faith on them to even believe. We understand that, that God had given them the understanding and the ability to believe, and yet we also acknowledge the truth of the Scriptures that says, you must come to Jesus. You are invited to the feast and you must come. And if you reject that invitation, you are rejecting the Lord Jesus himself. And these Jews were those that had rejected the Lord. But Jesus is teaching on kingdom grace and he he looks to the host and he brings up a very um, noticeable problem. He looks to this host and and as he looks around, he sees a banquet here on the on the uh, celebrating the, the things that they had learned at the synagogue and, and, and now they're sitting at the ruler of the, the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, and he's noticing that everybody around him are relatives and other Pharisees and wealthy neighbors, and he's looking around and it, it looks like the, the, the party for the elite of the elite. It looks like the, the party after the Oscars or the party after the Emmys where all the, the, the who's and the no's get together and they, they, they just talk about their, their, their accomplishments and their successes and he's, he's looking around these celebrity Pharisees and he's not seeing the poor and he's not seeing uh, the sick and he's not seeing the crippled and the lame. And again, he's looking back to uh, what is uh, worthy of the kingdom of God, and being worthy of the kingdom of God is not what you've accomplished and, and what you've, uh, successes you may have had. What's worthy of the kingdom, God, is, is, is humility, is brokenness, is a willingness to understand the kingdom grace that you have received, and you lavish that kingdom grace upon other people. And so Jesus is not trying to give some table etiquette, as I've said before. He's not trying to say, here's five steps of how to have a plan, a really good party. Jesus is not concerned about if you invite your relatives to your house on Christmas Day. He's not talking about that. What he's focusing on is that these people who should have understood the grace of God that has been lavished upon them throughout history were not in themselves understanding it and lavishing that grace upon other people. They were a chosen nation by God's grace, not because they deserved it. Not because they were a beautiful nation. Not because they were a worthy nation. God could have chosen multiple nations outside of the people of Israel. And yet he chose Israel. He chose to form them and create them and lavish uh, the, the revelation of God upon them. And what did they do? They squandered it. They forgot it. They didn't value it and treasure it. And ultimately when he sent the Messiah, the eternal Son of God, they rejected the very God in the flesh. They didn't understand kingdom grace. And these Pharisees didn't understand it. Notice in verse 12 that Jesus says, he he notices that he says, "When, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. That word there means do not continually invite these people. Why? Because you have set up a system whereby you have You throw this large shindig and, and you have all this this incredible food and this, this great feast and you invite all your friends and neighbors and loved ones and rich neighbors and all you're doing is really politicizing this event so that then they go and then they create this cycle where they have a party and they invite you and then this next group of people have a party and they invite you and all you're doing is you're just hobnobbing with the same group of people So that each one has a party and can get repaid by having another party. That's not kingdom grace. That's selfish manipulation. Selfish manipulation whereby we do special things or great things only so that we can benefit from them ourselves. Children do this often. Children think, if I just obey my mom and dad, I might really score something big. If I'm a good, obedient child, I'm going to benefit in some way. Maybe dad will take us out for ice cream. Maybe mom will let me watch a movie after my nap. But real obedience is not obeying for the sake of benefiting yourself. Real obedience is obeying out of love For your parents. Thus as Christians. We obey God. Not because we want to receive. Spiritual blessing. We obey God because he has already lavished. Spiritual blessing upon us. And because we love him. So to do things. Heartily to the Lord. In our workplace is to serve with our best effort, with our greatest energy, not so that we can receive a promotion, but accepting the reality that we work the hardest, knowing we may never be accepted or succeed or have success in that in in that workforce, and yet we continue to strive for the Lord, for his honor and his glory even if we're passed up and passed up and passed up promotion after for promotion after promotion so kingdom grace is discovering and understanding that we are unworthy and we have received as jesus says in matthew 10 without paying He tells his disciples, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Jesus is sending out his disciples. He's telling them to go serve people, go minister to people, go proclaim the kingdom because the kingdom is centered around grace and you have not received anything that you deserved, so go out and do things for people that are not people that deserve them, but you are reflecting the kingdom that you belong to. Right? Ephesians 2 eight. for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. There's not a greater picture than this, than the Lord Jesus Christ, thinking about His glory, thinking about His majesty, thinking about what He deserved, His place of honor and majesty that He steps away from so that He can come to the earth and be a sacrifice for His unworthy enemies. He did that. And guess what? He did that for the glory of his father. For the purposes set before him. And we receive the benefit. And so kingdom grace is married to kingdom humility. so that as we live as people of the kingdom who have enjoyed the grace of God, understanding that we are undeserving of what God has done, then we as the church rise up As people saturated with God's kingdom grace and we look out into a hurting world and we say, how can I serve these people? How can I care for these people? How can I reach out with the gospel and teach them about the kingdom of God, about this great feast that they can be invited to and accept and receive? How can I do these things? Why? Because I have received such great things from a God who I don't, or that which I don't deserve. Church, there are ways that you can give of yourselves, not to just serve the world, but to serve this body of believers. There are babies in the nursery that need changing, and this building needs cleaning, and the sound system needs operating, and money needs counting, and, and all these different facets of 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 our church and the things that we do in and out in, in this community, in this building, and so on and so forth. And again, as people who have received the grace of God, Paul tells the Romans that as you have received the gift of grace that's given to you, let's use them. Each one of us have been given God's grace and embedded within that grace are gifts by which you use to serve others so that you don't pull into the church station so that you can get serviced and get your oil changed and get your window uh, wiper fluid filled back up. Instead, you come to serve. Because God has engifted you with a grace by which you are not only recipients of what you don't deserve, but you're willing to give that grace to others who are undeserving. And folks, we as believers in Christ, if we're real honest with ourselves, we forget that as God has lavished this grace upon us, it's not a treasure to keep in a basket. It's a light to put up on a hill so that we take the gospel to the nations. We have this responsibility that what we have uh, experienced and received, we pass on to other people. And we pass that knowledge and that truth and that grace and mercy so that we love people in such a way with action and we love people by teaching them God's word and proclaiming truth to them. And it's because we have experienced this kingdom grace. And of course he says in verse 14, when you understand this grace, when you are willing to serve people and care for them, you will be blessed because they can't repay you. They have nothing to give you. You're actually um, practicing kingdom grace because you are not serving others so that you'll get something in return and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just when Christ comes again, when you receive the full blessings of what you have surrendered your life to. The great salvation, the great reconciliation. And by the way, that's something that happens at salvation. In part, it happens now. There's a, the, the, the idea is, is called the already and the not yet. You already are in Christ. You already have been saved. You already are being transformed. And yet, not yet, have you fully been transformed? Not ha- yet, have you fully received salvation until Christ comes again? And so it is a both-and process that is going on in people that belong to the kingdom and have experienced his grace. So we could say, God is saving me, that I am saved. Those are both true. Kingdom grace. Lastly is kingdom belonging. Jesus gives another parable. He gives this parable in response to a man. I, I, I suppose that this is one of the Pharisees. We're not told that, but that is what I believe. I think that it's a Pharisee because he speaks in this very abstract way. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. The theme of this of this whole passage about kingdom, kingdomness and belonging to the kingdom and the aspects or characteristics of the kingdom is in contrast to a self-righteous arrogance of these Pharisees. So I can just imagine this is one of the Pharisees crying out in response to Jesus, well, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. As if, well, I mean... We all belong to the kingdom. We're all Jews. And so blessed are we who belong to the kingdom. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't say it, but in Jesus' reaction and in his parable, I think he's, he has a righteous anger because of this arrogance. Because the Jews felt such belonging. And so bound up in these excuses that we heard earlier from these, uh, these parable subjects, these, uh, these people that were invited to the feast, these excuses represent the Jewish people. So understand in context, uh, in Jesus' day, there was, there was no post office, there was no, uh, there was no Swiss watch on your arm, there was no way of knowing about when something was going to go on unless a servant was sent or a herald was sent to tell you. So typically a feast would happen like this. Uh, a, A person would host a feast. They would send someone out to the people that were invited. And that person would go around and he would invite them to the feast. And you would agree to come. And at the time of the feast, when the preparations had been made, later on down the line, whether it be a week or a month or whatever, the, the, the herald or the, the messenger, the servant would go out again, and he'd say, brothers and sisters, it's time for the feast. Come on in. They don't have watches. They don't, they don't know exactly when it's time to come. And so they would, they would go out and say, come on in. And that's kind of the setting for this parable. And there you have those invited. Those that apparently this Pharisee is representing. Blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, no, no, no. These invitees in the parable. A great banquet has come, is, has come and many were invited. And as he says in verse 17, the time of the banquet, when he sends his servant to say to those who are invited, Come, for everyone, uh, for everything is now ready. This is the second invitation. He's letting them know that it is now time to come to the banquet. Now, as this represents the Jewish people, this is Jesus coming. Jesus has come to the earth. He's like, The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here. It's ready. And they all begin to make excuses. They all begin to say, well, I bought a field and I must go and see to it. Or I bought a yoke of oxen. I need to go examine them. Or I just got married. I need to be with my wife. And listen, these are lame excuses. We all logically know, living as city dwellers, most of us, that if you're going to buy a field or you're going to buy a yoke of oxen, you've already examined them before you've purchased them. You've already done what is needed to be done. These are excuses. These are lack of commitment. And for this man to say, Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom, he is basically saying, Listen, well, we, we haven't had to do anything because we're Jews. We belong to the kingdom. We're blessed in this great feast that we've been invited to. And Jesus says, no, you were originally invited and you committed, but now you are making excuses and you really have no desire to be here at this feast. And so that anger in verse 21 by the, uh, the master of the house, is the same anger, I think, that Jesus feels at this very moment in which he portrays this parable of the Jews as a whole being rejected by Jesus because they have rejected him. Because, folks, belonging to the kingdom is... it, it includes people without excuses. Belonging to the kingdom includes people without excuses and excludes people that make excuses. If you know someone in your life, like I do, if you know people that are invited to come to Christ, they're invited to come to Jesus, and the first thing they do is they make excuses. Well, I just, you know, I need to get right. I need to start reading my Bible more. I need to start coming to church. Maybe I can come to church with you. You know, I, 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 need, to, I need to break up with my boyfriend or my girlfriend or, or I need to, you know, do whatever. And they're, they're excuses. And most of the time, those excuses are, are based, in my scenario, they're based upon people's unworthiness. They don't think they're worthy to come to God. Or at least that's the way it sounds. But the underlying problem in their heart is not that they feel unworthy. The problem underlying in their heart is they really don't want to come. Now's not a good time. It's not important to me right now. I can't tell you the amount of people I've seen in my short stint in ministry that literally start having children like, yeah, we need to get our kids in church. We really need to be. It wasn't important for you to be in church, but it's important for you to be in church when your kids are born. That's not commitment. Those are excuses. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that if we can't love Christ when we are single and find satisfaction in Him, we are not going to love Him when we have children. If we're making excuses then, we will continue to make excuses because our commitment and our surrender to Him is not real. Excuses do not identify lackluster Christians, or bottom-rung Christians, or some sub-level of Christianity. Excuses for following Jesus is only rejection of Jesus. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, but first say farewell, to those at, at, let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Those are excuses. Kingdom belonging is reserved for people without excuses. It's also reserved for people with great need. Jesus tells in this parable that the the master says to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. Now looking at this from an eschatological perspective, I believe that these are Jews messianic Jews as we would call them because they belong to the city they live in the city they're crippled and they're and they're lame and they're blind and they're poor and what do we know about those type of people that phys, have physical ailments they're broken they understand that they're blind they understand that they need a cane a seeing eye dog they need someone to help them and guide them along the way they're not going around going i'm not blind They're not driving down the interstate ignoring their blindness. They they understand their brokenness. They understand their suffering. They understand their diseases. And so if these are the lame and the crippled in the city, then these are Jews who had been invited, and they're not being kicked out. They're not being expelled from the feast. They are there belonging to, to the kingdom because they understand their need for God and they have accepted Jesus as the one true way to salvation. And again, we see this, this act of kingdom grace uh, portrayed. I mean, can you imagine for a moment, like I, I was just taken back by what effect this would have in the city of Bartlett today. If we drove up to Kirby Whitten, or drove up stage, took a ride on on Kirby Witten, and we went to the Salvation Army, and we had a $100,000 budget, and we took everybody, all the residents and all the homeless that have been invested in in that ministry, and let me say, we have $100,000. We want to create a feast, a banquet, for all these men and women that live on the streets. We'll call it the Streets Gala. And we got $100,000 to spend. And we're going to buy the best food. And we're going to have the best place settings. We're going to take these people. We're going to give them showers. We're going to give them tuxedos. We're going to give them ballroom gowns. We're going to have music playing. We're going to have this incredible feast. And they're going to come and they're going to be treated as if they're the, 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 the king and queen of England. And and they're they're just going to be amazed. Why, Why would you do this for us? Why would you do this for us? And we could say, because this is what God has done for us. Because this is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. We were the blind and the homeless and the broken, and he invited us in. Not because we deserved it, because we didn't deserve it. Because His grace and His love is so abundant and we can't explain it. We just understand that He's given it to us. Can you imagine what that would do to those people? What joy and and, and, and the, the immediate faith that we would see in their lives because they would get it. It would just be a meal. It would just be a tuxedo. But for once they could see the unconditional love and grace of God. And they would understand what new life in Christ is. And so people that belong to the kingdom, they don't have excuses. They're committed. They're not puffed up and arrogant. They admit that they have great need. And this last group of people, this last group of people in this parable when, when the servant comes back and says there's still room, God's faithfulness to fill his kingdom, he says, then go out to the highways and the hedges, that's outside the city, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Well, we know by God's great picture of, of redemption and his salvation story that those Those people at the highways and the hedges that live outside the city, they're us. Those are the Gentiles. And what's interesting about it is that Jesus says, compel them to come in. Like that word sometimes is used as if you take them by force and you drag them into the kingdom. Now, Jesus is not referring to the SWAT style, you know, engagement upon Gentiles where you're dragging them into the kingdom. But he is talking about a forceful persuasion. A forceful persuasion. A compelling uh, that is so necessary because Gentiles do not think that they belong to the kingdom. And all through the book of Acts, we saw this. When the gospel was proclaimed and Jesus Christ by the mouth of Peter and Paul and John were proclaimed to the Gentiles, it, 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 it astonished them that they had an opportunity to believe in and trust and accept the God of Israel. And yet we know this great picture that in Luke chapter 2, Jesus as, as a baby was prophesied as a light to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. And so we know that these people in the highways, at the highways and the hedges, they're living on the outskirts. They're the people across the tracks. Those are us. We weren't born into a Jewish family, we're of different tongue, tribe, and nation. And yet, God's plan from the beginning. Not his audible at the line of scrimmage, not his plan B, but his plan from the beginning was to take a people of Jews and Gentiles and graft them together to be a community of one, under one Lord, under one in one spirit, by one faith. And so, in Luke, um, excuse me, in Acts chapter ten, we see this great transitioning. As Paul has become an apostle and he's been um, commanded by God to go out to the Gentiles and proclaim. And so in Acts chapter 10, we don't see Paul doing this. We actually see Peter. Because Peter had a lot to learn, as we all do, about who was included in the kingdom. And so in Acts chapter 10, it's Peter that's sent by God in a vision to go to the house of Cornelius this Gentile. And it was Peter who was commanded by God in a vision to, in, to uh, be willing and to change the traditions that he had grown up in, and to believe and trust and submit to the authority of God, and to share the gospel to all that God has commanded, including Gentiles. And it's there in Cornelius's house that he sees the Gentiles come to faith and then he takes that news back to the Jews. and what do the Jews do? They're astonished to hear that the Holy Spirit have, or that the, the, the Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit in, in salvation. God is opening up. He's broadening this grand picture in his progressive revelation of what is going on. But we're not surprised by that, right? We shouldn't be surprised by it. Because when we take scripture as a whole, from Genesis to Revelation, it's one story. It's one story. And what was undone at the fall is recreated in Jesus. What was undone... At the Tower of Babel, when God takes an arrogant group of people, the nations that think that they are so grand and so mighty and so glorious, he takes them and he scatters them by changing their language. And all of a sudden, the nations are created by God because of, uh, he, they need to be humbled. They have not learned their lesson in his judgment. And so in the Tower of Babel, God humbles the nations by scattering them and creating them. And what does Jesus do? He recreates that. He takes the nations that are scattered and he brings them in one community, in in one faith and one Lord. And that is exactly what's pictured in our story today. One feast, one table, different groups of people, Gentiles and Jews submitting by one faith to the Lord Jesus. And those who were originally invited, Jesus says, shall never taste my banquet. Why? Because they rejected the Lord Jesus. They rejected him. So I ask you this morning... In the simplest way, what have you done with the Lord Jesus? Have you rejected him? Or have you received the invitation to come, as we sang this morning, to the feast? Come to the table. You recognize that you are the great and the, and, and the least, the rich and the poor, that you can come and hunger no more. Have you received the gift of eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have, let me challenge you and encourage you this morning that you understand the kingdom, that you are growing, and you understand what God uh, requires of us. You have been given this great knowledge and this understanding of his kingdom and his word, and and you may not know everything, but you know so much more than people in this world that have never heard of Jesus. Jesus. You know so much more than people who are at home watching false teachers on TBN that are completely confusing their minds and their hearts. We know so much more than the CEOs of the world who go to church on Christmas, Easter, and other holidays. You know so much more than them. Are you compelling them to come in to the feast? Are you compelling them to come? Many of them don't believe or don't understand that that, that it's, it's for them, that the invitation is for them. They don't understand their sickness or their weakness or their sin. They don't understand those things. And they by no means understand who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And so if you belong to the kingdom, by God's kingdom grace, and it's humbled you, as a recipient of the kingdom, and you understand the triumph of the kingdom by Christ at the cross in his death and resurrection, then by all means go and compel people to receive such an invitation that Jesus Christ has given.